3: It's been Jack Benny, Amos and Andy, Bergen and McCarthy. Still waiting to entertain you on CBS are Rocky Jordan, Horace Hyde, R. Miss Brooks, The Whistler, and Red Skelton.
0: Now, Del Monte Foods brings you a world of adventure with Rocky Jordan.
1: The Near East Import Company, cabby, for Sharia Tulak Pasha.
4: Yes, Effendi, I know the place.
1: A little short on fares today, driver. I saw you parked out in front of my cafe most of the day.
4: Such is the manner of the taxicab business, Effendi. Some days many passengers, other days few.
1: Hey, weren't you supposed to have taken a left turn on the corner we just passed?
4: This other way, sir, we shall miss much of the city traffic. Ah,
1: well, I hope you know what you're doing. Hey, you don't. Left turn, not right. You're going away from Tulak Pasha.
4: So I am. Jordan Day. Hey, what is this? You shall see in but a moment.
1: Put on the brakes, cabby. I'm getting out. Break it up, I say. I point
4: I'm... the cab in the direction of that cement wall in the bend in the road. I pull the throttle so the gas may be fed automatically. And I'm going to jump out of the cab and leave you here. It, it, the door. Shove in the throttle. My door. It will not open. Break. It, break. The wall. We are heading right for it. Break, you fool. <laughs>
0: Del Monte, the brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. Yes, Del Monte, the best-liked brand of canned fruits and vegetables in the whole wide world, takes you now to the Café Tambourine for another adventure with Rocky Jordan. The Café Tambourine in Cairo, gateway to the ancient east, where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against a backdrop of antiquity. Tonight's Rocky Jordan story, The Return of Dr. Piru.
1: it started when I'd climbed into a cab to head for Sharia Tulak Pasha. But the cab driver had had other ideas. He'd pointed the taxi toward a cement wall and pulled the hand throttle. His plan was simple and direct. Jump from the speeding car and leave me behind to get pressed. Only something went wrong. The cab door hadn't come open and neither one of us was able to get out. I woke up in a Cairo hospital, and it wasn't long before I had a visitor. Captain Sam Sabaya, Cairo police. I lost no time in telling him what had happened. Why should Joseph Salim, the cab driver, wish to kill you?
3: I don't know, Sam. Had you had any dealings with Salim previous to this incident? No, I'd never even seen him before. Then tell me, why should a man you have never seen wish to kill you in such a manner?
1: I don't know, but he did. You don't believe me? I did not say I do not believe you. All right, then. Put me in close touch with Salim. I'll get an answer for you. That is impossible.
3: You were protected by the front seat. Salim sat directly behind the steering wheel. He is dead.
5: Captain Sabaya.
3: Hmm? Oh, yes, nurse.
5: Uh, There's a telephone call for you from a man named Mr. Lundigan.
3: Oh, yes, yes, Lundigan. Well, I must go.
1: Salim could have been hired by someone, Sam. That is possible. That means there'll be another try.
3: If what you have said to me is true.
1: Well, it is, and I'm not going to sit around and wait for anything Jordan,
3: if your life is in danger, the matter will be ably handled by the police. In the meantime, what am I supposed to do? One suggestion, Jordan, is that you stay right where you are, in the hospital bed.
1: It was a bad suggestion. Something was real cockeyed, and lying flat on my back in a hospital bed was getting nothing done. I found my clothes and climbed into them. That's when the nurse walked in and said I couldn't go. I said, yes, I could. She went for the doctor, and I went for the back door. Twenty minutes later, I hauled my bandaged side and shoulder and slightly mutilated face into the tambourine. Chris had kept the place open.
4: How you feeling, Rock? Oh,
1: a little shaky. How's business?
4: Couldn't be better. Every time something happens to you, business spurts. You got a great system. Yeah. Uh, say, Rock, here's something sort of wacky. Uh, a special delivery letter came yesterday. I opened the envelope because I figured it might be important. All I found inside was this card. Let me see. There's nothing on it, just the name. Dr. Pirou.
1: Pirou? Where's the envelope this came in?
4: It's around here someplace.
1: Oh, uh, here. I'm mailed in Cairo, no return address.
4: What's all the excitement? It's just a little calling in card.
1: Chris, that cab smash-up wasn't an accident. The driver was hired to kill me.
4: Huh? By who? Hey, who is this Dr. Pirou?
1: Uh, someone I knew in Istanbul. A friend? Oh, he wouldn't say so. I was going into a business deal with a Frenchman named Dubois... Pirou was his doctor. Suddenly, Dubois was out of money, and our business deal fell through. Next thing, Dubois was dead, and I'd seen too much. What do you mean? Dr. Piru was up for murder, and I was a witness against him. The only witness.
4: So he screamed revenge, huh? That's right. And now he's back. Hey, where you going, Rock?
1: Research on Joseph Salim. Well, the city directory showed a Joseph Salim on 175 Sharia 3rd Dynasty. It was after 8 when I stood in front of a rooming house, old enough to give the termites indigestion. Sitting on the steps, a shawl over her head, was a Moslem woman with damp eyes and a big handkerchief. I asked her if she knew Joseph Salim.
5: Oh, it was a most glorious funeral. (sighs) At the head of the procession came old Fakwa, pounding the cymbal till the building shook. Then came the three hired mourners, with most lustrous voices. Their wailing and whining could be heard for blocks. Yes, I've Through heard... Through the Muskie Bazaar went the procession. Crush went the cymbal. Wail went the mourners and the chickens and goats scatter helter and skelter into the square. (sighs) Oh, it was a most glorious funeral.
1: (laughs) Now, can we get back to Salim? Is there anyone here who knew him well?
5: Well, there is his sister who came from Alexander last week. Come, I will take you to her. Anya and Salim. What is it? There is a man here inquiring of your brother Joseph. I say there is a man here inquiring of your brother Joseph. Let him come in.
6: Yes?
1: My name is Rocky Jordan.
6: Oh. Oh, yes, you are the one who was in the cab Joseph drove. I am happy you were not killed as was Joseph.
1: So am I, but that's not the end of it.
6: What is it you mean, Mr. Jordan?
1: I mean that someone hired your brother to kill me.
6: That is a rather a strong accusation, sir.
1: And I'll find a way to back it up. But I'm not interested in your brother. He's out of reach. I am interested in the person who hired him.
6: Of course.
1: And I think maybe you know something about it. Like who he is.
6: Mr. Jordan, I cannot condone what my brother has done.
1: You do know something, then? Who hired him?
6: Well... A few evenings ago, Joseph had a visitor. I was asked to leave the room while they discussed something of great importance.
1: And what was the visitor's name?
6: I do not know. It was not said, but Joseph referred to him as Doctor.
1: Haru? What did he look like?
6: Small man, very small, fat, round face with a smile, a smile without good feeling behind it. He wore a hearing aid. I remember it quite clearly. Also, he impressed me as the kind of man you would not want to touch.
1: Well, you've given a perfect description of Dr. Pirou. Thanks a lot, Miss Salim.
6: I hope I have been of some help.
1: Oh, yes, you have. But what you've told me confuses me even more. I headed straight for the public library. It took me a little while to find what I was looking for. Copies of the Istanbul newspapers dated four years ago, December. The letters were big and black telling the story of Dr. Pirou's murder trial. With me as witness against him. But they told even more... They told that what was happening now was utterly impossible. Screaming headlines dated December 31st, 1945 said, Dr. Piru, executed for murder. Oh, Chris, I'm tired. I'm going to hit the sack. Lock up in an hour or so and go home,
4: huh? Sure, Rock. But uh, don't you want me to bunk here tonight? it's not necessary. Oh, uh, Rock, look out the window. What? That guy under the lamppost up the block. He's been there all evening. Watch job? That's right. Maybe I better stay here tonight. If there's some trouble.
1: If there is, it's my trouble. I don't want you in on it. Lock up and go home, like I say.
4: Where are you going now? Just behind the counter here.
1: My sleeping companion for the night. All loaded up. Just in case, Chris. Just in case. Well, I went upstairs, shoved the gun under the pillow, undressed, and got into bed. It was hard sleeping. The effects of the smash up hadn't worn off, and the whole business of Dr. Pyrou made it worse. I tossed and turned and felt like I was building a fever, and finally dropped off into a fitful sleep. Time went by and the dreams came and went. The screwy dreams of illness and confusion. Dreams of the cab smash up, of Anna Salim's description of the man who hired a brother wacky dreams, contorted dreams of Pirou and the hangman's gallow and the springing of the trap and then the screwiest dream of all Dr. Pirou rising from the dead and suddenly I was awake and what I was seeing wasn't a dream at all standing over my bed in the low glare of a street lamp was a face, a round fat face with a sickly smile the face of Dr. Pirou. I sprang up in bed and that's when I was aware he was holding something in my arm I looked down A hypodermic needle, and he was pushing the plunger. I yanked my arm away, shoved it under the pillow, and came up with a gun. The figure bolted and ran. I raised the gun and squeezed at the trigger. Then I hit a lot of air. Then I scrambled out of bed to take chase, only suddenly my legs were papier-mâché. I crumbled in a chair.
4: Danny, over
2: here. Uh, the reason why I called you and asked you to come down here to the mortgage well, You because... said you had something interesting to show me, Dr. Sinsky.
3: I said interesting, Danny, because to you, a policeman, that is a proper word. As far as I'm concerned, to me, it is merely a function come of... Come on, the... come on, doctor. What did you ask me to come down here for? I'll show you.
2: Larry Greenow, Danny. Did you do an autopsy on him already? A merely a superficial examination, Uh, here. Look.
7: A welt on the front of his thigh. What
3: about it? Post-mortem lividity, Danny. What? A very simple thing. A person who, after he is dead, lies in one position for an hour or two develops such a... uh, a welt, as you call it. Hmm. Seepage of blood to the lowest part of the body. Physics, Danny.
7: You mean Greenhow
3: was lying on his face after he was killed? Yeah. Probably with one leg drawn up under him. I uh, took the liberty, Danny, to call down for the photographs taken at the liquor store where Greenhow was found. Hmm. Here. Mm-hmm. Now, did I use the right word?
7: Lying on his back. Yeah, you did, doctor. It's interesting, all right. Thank you. Where's the nearest phone down here, doctor? Yeah, uh, through that door. Thanks, Dr. Sinsky. Thanks a lot. <laughs> All right, Miss Elgin. All right, what? This is why I called you. This is why I picked you up. This is where we're going. You can sit right there in the car, Mrs. Elgin, and I'll get back in and we'll drive downtown and I'll book you for murder. Thanks.
2: What are we going here for? Mrs. Elgin... I asked you a question. What are we going here for?
7: You'll see.
1: Lying on the floor was something that told me it wasn't a dream at all. A hypodermic needle still half full. That's when the phone began jumping, and I picked it up.
6: Mr. Jordan, this is Anna Salim.
1: Yes, what is it, Anna? I
6: am sorry to wake you so early, but I have something important to tell you. That man, the man who hired my brother...
1: Dr. Piru, what about him?
6: I have seen him again. Where? In the marketplace, not far from where I live. I thought
1: you would like to know. Well, for a dead guy, he sure gets around. Thanks, Anna. I dressed and left the tambourine to head for Sam suppliers office to show him the hypo. Maybe that would make him believe somebody wasn't kidding. Going up the street, I spotted the guy who was watching the tambourine the night before. A tan trench coat thrown around his body. He was still interested in me. All right, I led him to the police station and went inside. Sam wasn't in yet, but he was expected, so I decided to wait. Trench coat was standing across the street waiting for me to come out. I could see him through the window. Then a moment later, I saw something else of interest. On Sam's desk, a folder with my name on it. I threw it open and began reading at the papers inside. I trust you find that
3: matter interesting reading, Jordan.
1: You sure had me fooled, Sam. You've been working on that cab smash-up all along. This folder's got a whole account. One, the cab didn't even belong to the Cairo Cab Company. It was a ringer. That is correct, Jordan. And two, there was a special lock arrangement on the door so the driver wouldn't be able to get out.
3: Proving his killing wasn't a mistake, but a design by the person who hired him to prevent him from ever
1: talking. Why did you play it like you were sloughing it off?
3: Because I did not want you to take police business upon yourself. It's my life, Sam. Because of the unusual nature of this entire affair, Jordan, I insist that you leave the matter completely in my hands. And what do I do? Stand by like a clay pigeon? Measures are being taken to protect you. All right, do something about the guy who's been tagging me.
1: He's standing across the street He is an agent of this department whose job it is to protect you. Yeah? He fell asleep last night. I found this hypo needle in my arm. And a sweet little character by the name of Dr. Piru was at the other end of it. You may have heard of him. Yes, I have. He's dead. Yeah, that's what the Istanbul papers Question, where'd he get the money?
7: And why did he get the money? Why? Because he saw one man kill another. What did I kill John Elgin for? What motive did I have? You gotta have a reason. You gotta have a motive. You had a motive, Margaret.
6: I still look good to you, Ray, honey.
7: You almost had Margaret when her husband fell in love with another woman. but he got out over it. Went back to Margaret.
6: It was very touching. Gave me a speech about there wasn't going to be a divorce, ever. He said, let's start all over again. You remember, Ray. I tried to explain that to you. You're so
2: hot-tempered. Margaret,
7: Margaret, for the love. So ma-
2: hot-tempered. Margaret. Oh,
7: it's over now, Ray. A little ex-book. You knew you were a murderer and blackmailed you. Then you got tired of paying So he came to me, labeled it murder, and went away. And Greenhow wasn't lying. He didn't tell you I killed Elgin. That's right. Greenhow didn't identify you. He just came to the police to frighten you. He just reported a murder. When he came back here to tell you what he'd done, you killed him. Margaret, help me.
2: Can I talk now,
7: Ray? Come on, come on, help he me. He never
6: said your name. Why didn't you pay him? He would have said it. Not if you'd have paid him. He would have said it! Look how hot-tempered he is. Knows everything. Him burns our life away.
7: There's a special moon over Broadway tonight. It dips low and mixes with the laughter and the clack of heels and the light flung downward from the spectaculars. And people look at it, point at it, wink at it, and run into whatever shadow they've planned for the night. It's Broadway, the gaudiest, the most violent, the lonesomest mile in the world. Broadway. Broadway. My Beat. Is my beat.
1: Back into the faces of his patients. The blackmail way. I see. With one he even tried on murder. But let's get back to blackmail. How were you with your indiscretions? You are blunt, aren't you? Oh, well, you'll forgive it, I know. You see, someone's just after your money, but they're after my life. True or false, you're being blackmailed by Pirou. Yes. Have you seen Pirou? No, no. Captain Sabaya assures me he's dead. How can a dead man blackmail you? I don't know. How can he be dead when I saw
2: him last night? I don't know.
1: can not you say anything else? Just that the
2: matter is in the hands of the police. I know very little about it, except that it's completely bewildering.
1: Okay, okay thanks, Mr. Lonegan.
4: You wish to be shown out, Mr. Jordan?
1: How do you know my name, Stanley? I heard you mention it to Mr. Londigan. How long have you been with Mr. Londigan, Stanley? He's been with me ever since I've been confined to this thing.
2: What does that matter?
1: Stanley still hasn't said how long. Five years. Uh Uh-huh. Pyrou's only supposed to be dead for four. Who recommended you, Stanley? Well, it was Dr. Pyrou, Mr. Jordan. What is it you're suggesting, Jordan? Oh, nothing. Just looking for an opening. Want to show me out now, Stanley? You look pretty anxious. And he was. He gave me a fast walk to the front door, and a few moments later I was out on the street, walking south, trying to figure a way to get more dope on Stanley and Londigan. Trench coat must have gone off duty, because following me now was an Arab in burnous, headdress, and lots of whiskers protection from Sam. It was comforting, but all the attention I was getting made me feel like a, a long legged blonde with a navy in town. He kept following me as I kept walking and I soon forgot him. I shouldn't have. When I turned down a deserted street, the Arab in Bernouz began to act real strange for an Arab and especially for a policeman. From under his robes, he'd whipped out a gun and started throwing bullets. I dived into the gutter behind some garbage cans and the shot would get coming. I was out of breath and he was out of bullets. He turned the corner and bolted. I moved out after him. By the time I got to the corner, he was also out of sight. a swell way to give me protection, Sam. I am sorry, Jordan. The man I assigned to follow and protect you is completely trustworthy. But an and Arab I'm... in Bernus got to him and laid him up in an alley, I bet, and just took his place following me. My guard was down. I
3: admit the mistake, and the excuse is feeble. You might have been killed. Your death would have been on my hands. you think I want that?
1: Oh, I'm sorry, Sam. guess I'm a little edgy.
3: Oh, it is all right, Jordan. Anger comes to our voices when consternation is in our hearts. It is just that I am not able to make head or tails out of this entire affair. There is an answer, but what? Sam, I know how to bring this to a head. You want it? That, Jordan, depends entirely upon the method you wish to use. Hyrule, or whatever it is, wants me dead pretty badly. Jordan, a moment, please. It might occur to you to set yourself up as bait in some public place, say, and wait until this, this whatever-it-is comes to you in a further attempt at your life. This, Jordan, I cannot sanction
1: my job is to protect you. Okay, Sam, forget I mentioned it. Where are you going now? Out. Jordan! Don't worry, Sam. I'll ever do anything you don't want me to. I went back to the tambourine, got my gun, and stuffed it into my pocket. Then I headed over to Old Caro, the Miss Salim's part of town, to the marketplace where she said she'd seen Peru. It was closing in on evening when I found a rat's nest that passed as a bar. Inside, a tall, slim, why fellows get tired of mother type girl was doing a sword dance. I moved through the smoke, found a corner table, and sat down. I told the waiter two things. One, what I wanted to drink. Two, that my name was Rocky Jordan and I wanted to see Pyrule. He'd do the rest, and all that was left for me was the wait. Well, it was a long wait, but there were diversions. As the night dragged on, the dances got better, the music got faster, and the smoke got thicker. Then at nine, the dervishes came on the dance floor, turning themselves into a whirling, twisting mass, spinning tops, jet propelled. Then at the height of their dance, suddenly standing in the doorway through the heavy smoke, I saw it once again, the impossible, the face of Dr. Piru. Then it was gone. I moved out of the cafe fast, out into the cold night air, to see where the figure had gone. This time, it wasn't getting away from me.
4: Mr. Mr. Jordan! Anna! What? I saw him.
6: I saw him again. Down those steps he went into that cellar.
1: My gun was in my hand. I took the steps two at a time and plunged into the semi-darkness of the cellar. At the end of a long hallway, I thought I heard a door close. So I moved to it in high gear and kicked it in. Inside, a single candle burned. Then I saw it once again, leering down at me. The face of Dr. Pirou. I didn't wait another second before I pulled the trigger. The bullets plowed into the forehead, but the smile didn't leave the face. Then I knew why. It was a lifelike rubber mask, and I had a lot of answers. But I also knew I'd allowed myself to walk into a trap.
0: In just a moment, Rocky Jordan returns to conclude tonight's story. Maybe you've heard the saying, start off each day with a smile and the world will seem much brighter. Well, one grand way to help that smile get started is to drink a glass of that tangy, fresh-tasting Del Monte tomato juice.
6: That's right, Larry. Even Monday looks good around our house when we start off with such sunny, refreshing, ripe tomato flavor.
0: That goes for thousands of other people, too. After all who wouldn't cheer up to a tomato juice that's really fresh-tasting with all the rich, delicious goodness of plump red tomatoes?
6: Well, that's describing Del Monte tomato juice to a T. You can tell straight off that it's the juice of fully vine-ripened tomatoes. Sure
0: enough, otherwise it just couldn't have that tempting tang and that special flavor. And Del Monte's close quality control sees to it that the juice gets to you as truly natural-tasting and fresh-tasting as can be
6: isn't that just what you'd expect from Del Monte? If anybody knows how to protect flavor, they do.
0: So you see, Del Monte tomato juice means brighter breakfasts, refreshing appetizers, a grand between-meal drink, too. Better get several cans at your grocer's. Back now to Rocky Jordan for the conclusion of tonight's story.
1: Well, I had chased what I thought was the figure of Dr. Piru into a cellar. What I found there was a rubber mask of his face, a burning candle, and something else. The knowledge that I'd allowed myself to walk into a trap.
6: You may sit and rest now, Mr. Jordan. You appear tired.
1: Anna Salim. But I guess the real name is something else,
6: huh? Anna Piru. Daughter? Yes.
1: Well, you got a first-class bringing up... Papa taught you a lot of things.
6: Mostly the practical one.
1: You hired Joseph Salim to kill me, and then that backfired. You stuck around play-acting as his sister from Alexandria. What about the Arab who threw those bullets at me?
6: No Arab at all. A friend of the Pyru family for many years. Come in here, Basha.
7: Yes, Miss Pyru.
6: Turn on the light and meet Mr. Jordan, Basha, the man you did not kill. But you will still have another chance.
1: Well, it's all out on the table now, Anna. Revenge against me, but not without showing Pyru's face. That helps the blackmail scheme, making it seem like Pyru's alive. Papa had a lot of dirt on a lot of important people. Landigan included.
6: And it is filed, Mr. Jordan. On microfilm.
1: So that became your legacy. How does it feel to fall heir to a lot of blackmail material?
6: Quite secure. It is not taxable. Basha, Mr. Jordan is now all yours.
7: My pleasure, Miss Byro. Will the knife do?
6: Oh, yes. Most admirably.
1: The big hulk moved toward me. I wasn't real anxious to have that cell in my graveyard, so I moved forward a couple of steps, getting a firmer grip on the empty gun I held. It was me and my empty gun against six-foot-four Basha and six inches of blade, and it wasn't fair
0: not get away this time, Jordan.
1: He took two quick steps toward me and I raised the gun to slam it into his face. But I'd taken my eyes off Anna Piru. She moved forward with a burning candle and drove the flame into my gun hand. And the little bit of protection I had fell to the floor.
6: Now, Basha, your knife and end it all for Jordan. Pig!
3: Up, Now, Brasher, we be forced to fire. It
1: was Sam Sabaya standing in the doorway with a gun in his hand. And he threw a great big damper on Anna Piru's plans.
3: Surrounded by police, it would be unwise for either of you to attempt to escape. Are you all right, Jordan? Oh, yeah, sure, Sam. Sergeant Greco, take these two.
1: Go on, outside with you.
5: Take your
3: hand well, Jordan.
1: I'll give you a statement as soon as you want, Sam. I got
3: it all. Uh, there's no longer any hurry, Jordan. There's some microfilm hidden someplace with a lot of blackmail stuff on it. Yeah, we'll probably find it in Anna's effects. We will burn it, Jordan. <laughs> well, it is a good thing I understand you as well as I do. That plan of yours for setting yourself up as bait, though I disapproved, and perhaps especially because I disapproved, you would not forego going through with it. It's a good thing I understand you, Sam.
1: How so? You said you were going to protect me. I counted on it. I never knew you to fall down on your job yet.
0: For the finest in tomato flavor, enjoy the whole family of Del Monte tomato products.
6: Del Monte catsup and chili sauce, Del Monte tomato sauce and tomato juice, and Del Monte whole peeled tomatoes.
0: Remember, buy wisely. Buy for flavor. Buy Del Monte. Del Monte, the brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. Rocky Jordan, written by Gomer Cool and Larry Roman, stars Jack Moyles in the title role with Jane of Ella second. You kill her?
2: No, I did not. When's the
0: last time you saw her, Harry?
2: Last week. Hey, look, I got better sense than not to level with you. I saw Hilda last week, but a lot of times before that. Tell me about it. Well, I don't own this place. I get sent out on calls to clients who need things fixed, you know, like defrost a busted on a refrigerator, a golf ball now, go around. on, Lidman. Me... About six months ago, coincidence. I get sent out for a busted defroster to my old wife, Hilda's. She looked a lot better than five years ago when we left each other and she moved away. I didn't know where.
0: So you kept coming back.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I romanced her, Danny.
0: Still in love with her, huh?
2: I felt good being with her. About like that, you know. Love is for 18 to 25 age bracket. Now, about your son, Jimmy. Nice seeing him, too. When I saw him the first time six months ago, I missed him real bad for the years I hadn't seen him. Hilda. Last week, Hilda told me not to come back anymore. She shoved the gun at me and she said that. She had another guy, Nick. She had him and he didn't drink and she didn't want me. I've got to take you along, Harry. Yeah, sure, let's go. Anything to say.